Uh, this year, this year is dedicated in memory of Yosef Hirsch, Zichrono Livrocha, Yosef Tuvia, Ben Yisrael Aryeh, Yibodah L'chaim Aruchim. Yosef Hirsch was student in, in Yeshivat Miftar, and he, um, he was different than other students. In this, in the fact that uh, usually first you study and then you figure out what you're going to do with your life. But Yosef had already figured out what he's going to do with his life. He had spent a year in Romania uh, working with Jews, bringing uh, uh, learning in different forms to that. And before that, he had organized the learning community in Rutgers, New Jersey. And uh, through all of that, he realized that he had to go to Yeshiva also. So he came, but he knew what he was going to do. He was going to make the world a little bit of a better place for the Jewish people. And his death was a, a great loss for all of us. Yosef Hirsch, Yosef Tuvia Zichrona Levrocha, Ben Yisrael Aryeh, Yiboda Lechayim Arukim. Okay, I want to talk about Lagba Omer. Next week, the Chutzla Aretz and Eretz Yisrael, Parshat, Parshat HaShavua, catch up to each other. Because this week is Bahar in Eretz Yisrael, and next week is Bechukotai. And in Chutz Laaretz, this week is Emor, and next week is Bahar Bechukotai. So since everything is so mixed up, it's such a mishmash, it's okay if we talk about Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer is interesting. If you look at the sheet, uh, Lag Baomer, you see, is mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch. The first, the first, um, the first topic on the sheet. It says, Noagim Shelovisa Isha, Ben Pesach Latzeret Ad Lag Baomer. The time from Pesach, the time you start counting Sviata Omer, until Lag Baomer, is a time when you don't marry. So the first character that appears from uh, uh, connected to Lag Baomer is of course Rabbi Akiva. Because during the time from Pesach until Lag Baomer, the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva, the students of Rabbi Akiva, they all died. The Shulchan Aruch then says, Shapir like if you get married anyway, you don't want to pay attention to this, uh, to this limit, or you didn't pay attention, so the wedding is a wedding, and the marriage is a marriage. And this, of course, today uh, is further confused by the fact that there are different minhagim of when the Avelut starts and when it ends. But let's say... Let's keep to the, to the system of the Shulchan Aruch. It starts the day you start saying Kavdik Sfirata Omer, and it goes on till Lag, Lagba Omer. Hagaha. Hagaha. Mihu milagba Omer ve'elach hakol sharet. The Ramah says that after Lagba Omer hakol sharet, meaning you can get married. On any day between Lagba Omer and Shavuot. Right? 
because there was some difference of opinion. It's not reflected in the Shulchan Aruch about when the days of Evelut are. When do you have to be in Avel? So the first person that's connected to um, uh, to this Lagba Omer story is Rabbi Akiva. Is Rabbi Akiva. Now, we don't understand exactly, we don't understand exactly why it is that if the students of Rabbi Akiva cease to die, maybe they cease to die because they were all dead. And if they were all dead, is that a reason to get married? Is that a reason to have a party? Is that a reason to end Avelut? Like what started the Avelut was the death of the students of Rabbi Akiva. What ended it? They stopped dying. It didn't say that they won the war. There was no victory. It's just like the Romans got tired of killing them. They all petered out. And you know that at the time of Rabbi Akiva, there was this great tragedy that took place in Beitar. And Bar Kochva, who was considered by some, including Rabbi Akiva, to be a messianic personality, meaning, I don't know exactly what that means, but that you should trust him, and they should go with him, and you should fight with them, and because... He was encouraging them. He, Rabbi Akiva, encouraged people to go with Bar Kochva. Because of that, they were all killed. Maybe if they'd all given up, just kind of uh, retreated and disappeared and not established a state, which is what Bar Kochva actually did. He established some kind of a government and some kind of a state so that the Romans were forced to destroy the Bar Kochva movement. Now, why do I tell you all of this? Because if you look at the Gemara, the Gemara here is the third, on the third line. The third line says, You see? Amru, Shneim Asar Elef Zugim Talmidim Hayulol Rabbi Akiva. He had 12,000 pairs of students, which I guess means 24,000. Now, 24,000, that's a big yeshiva. Even today, that would be considered to be a really big yeshiva. And he says, Migvat ad anti pras. Right from the south to the north in Israel. Vichulam meitu beperekechad. And they all died at the same time. From from uh, uh, the second day of Pesach until Lag Ba'omer. They all died at that time. Why? The, this is the Gemara. We're reading the Gemara now, right? Mipnei shelo nahagu kavod zelazeh. Lo nahagu kavod zelazeh. I mean, what possible lo nahagu kavod could there have been amongst the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva, which was so terrible that it caused them to be killed. But if you put all these things together, the idea of Rabbi Akiva and Bar Kokhba and the, the revolt in Beitar, it could be that there was this political issue. could be. I'm, I'm giving you a... It's not even a theory. I'm just saying something. You know, it could be. It could be that the... Uh, uh, 
there was this question. Do we go with Bar Kokhba or don't we go with Bar Kokhba? And we know that the Rishalmi says that, that Rabbi Akiva said Bar Kokhba is the Mashiach. Right, his real name was Bar Koziba. But they called him Bar Kokhba. Dorach Kochav Miyakov. He was the Messiah for some. But Yochanan ben Turta said, Rabbi Akiva, you're making a terrible mistake, and he's not the Mashiach. And so if we extrapolated that, and we say, look, it wasn't just Rabbi Akiva against Yochanan ben Turta. What just one against one? That's not the way it was. But there were many on each side. And what happened with the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva? Let's assume, surmise, that they also were not entirely in agreement about whether to follow Bar Kokhba or to desist and maybe save whatever they could save. So on that point, a political point, for those of you who haven't watched the Knesset in action, you know that on, on Torah... Because to a dispute in Torah, you can keep smiling and you can be happy. When it comes to a dispute in politics, impossible. And so, Shalom Nahagu Kovot Zebo Zeb could be. It was about Bar Kokhva. It was about that question. Do we go with Bar Kokhva or do we run away from Bar Kokhva? So on that question, because on any other Torah question, Rabbi Akiva would certainly have been the decider. But on this question, on the question of prophecy, is Bar Kokhva the Mashiach or not? Everybody has an opinion. And there's no reason for me to accept the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. No, doesn't nothing necessary about it. It doesn't indicate his his special quality and talent. So that's what the Gemara says. Shalom na'agu kavod zelazev olam shameim achabar rabbi akiva itzarabotenu shevadarom olam shameim means there was no Torah. I mean, the words mean that it was desolate. What was desolate? The world of Torah was desolate because the twenty-four thousand students had been had been destroyed by ya olam shameim. So the Gemara says Rabbi Akiva was still able to go south. All of the the students had been north of Yerushalayim. He went south. And he taught the Torah to new students. What were their names? What were the new students' names? Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Loza, Ben Shabu, anybody's ever learned Mishnah? Knows all of these names. You ever learned Gemara, of course. But if you learned, if you learned the Mishnah, you also come across all of these names. So from the Gemara, from the Gemara, we learn about the nature of the tragedy of the death of the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva. And the tragedy was not just that many people died, that the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died at that time. 
But the tragedy was that these 24,000 students were the ones who carried the Torah with them, who were supposed to bring the Torah to the next generation. And they disappeared. A generation disappeared. And somehow, magically, fortunately, happily, Rabbi Akiva was able to re-establish, Rabbi Akiva was able to re-establish the Torah, the learning of Torah, and these five Talmidim were the Talmidim that he created, that he raised up. I mean, it may be that they all had studied Torah before Rabbi Akiva came to them. But Rabbi Akiva gave them his special kind of handle on Torah Shabbat on what has to be learned. So even though that during the time of Rabbi Akiva, the Torah was in great jeopardy, and the way I told the story, it may be that Rabbi Akiva was even responsible for that, because why was it that the students were kind of why did they deserve to be destroyed? Because they took sides in a political issue. The political issue was Bar Kokhba. Political issue was Bar Kokhba. Now we go back to our old question. Our first question. What happened on Ladba Omer? Why is Ladba Omer a happy day? So if you look at the pre Chadash, you go up a level to the left. There's the Prichadash. The Prichadash is a commentary. De Silva was his name. Is a commentary on Shulchan Aruch. It's a commentary on Shulchan Aruch. This is what he says. Vineima. He says that on Lagba Omer, you see, uh, I don't know if we read this, you see in the Seif Bet, see Seif Bet, this is another Minhag on the Yemea Sfira that we don't cut our hair until Lagba Omer. Right? Umar Bimbo, I'm sorry, Lagba Omer, Shaumim Ashaz Pasku Milamut. That's when they stopped dying. I'm reading Seif Bet in the Shulchan Aruch, right further up. So there is this discussion of when you could take a haircut. Like you take a haircut on Lag Baomer, or do you have to wait till Lad Baomer? Okay, you know, Jews like to talk about things like that. But if Lagba Omer turns out to be on Friday, so then you can take a haircut on Friday because you don't want to look terrible on Shabbos, even though in our time, you know, during that, those periods of time when a lot of people don't, a lot of men don't shave, like Cholom Oed, Cholom Oed, you know, it used to be that if you looked like that, your mother wouldn't let you out of the house. And today, it became a red badge of courage. You know, oh, you don't look that way? You know, like, it's the better way to look. I mean, so, like, things change. You know, things, is like, in the world, they, they just switch around. Like, today, if you go to shul during Cholomoid and you, and you shave, you shave, so you're the object of scorn. Or people say, oh, you're not Jewish? <laughs> you know, like, like it's like totally switched around. Whereas the halacha is, the halacha, everybody knows is that you have to cut your hair before yantif, so you won't look that way on yantif. 
But if you look that way on Yotav, it's great. It's even better. <laughs> so here it says, No, I give you all this stuff where I'd like to go. So we see that there is this problem. You see, towards the end of the second line. He's talking about Poland. Right? His, his Medinot, the Ramo. We, Ashkenazim, I mean, that's sort of like the Ramor represents the Ashkenazim. He says, we shave on Lagba Omer. That's the, that's the issue. And the Ramor says, Marbin Boksat Simcha. He doesn't say what that is. Well, what Simcha? I mean, so, I mean, historically, we know that there is something, there is something like that. Now, listen to the Prichadash. Back to the Prichadash. Lagba Omer became a day of Simcha. Like, you know, there aren't that many days of Simcha. I mean, you can, usually Simcha is connected to a mitzvah, something you do. Lagba you don't do anything, at least. According to the Ramah, he doesn't tell you to do anything. He says, you don't say Tachnu. But, you know, today, a lot of days, if you don't say Tachnu, it's not such a big deal. So, listen to this. This is the quote. He's a Sfaradi, the silver, right? So he says, Oh, there are more. He said you could take a haircut on the 33rd day. But we only take haircuts on the 34th day. So good. Something to talk about. He says, so even in my town, if somebody has the, I don't know, the, the forbearance to take a haircut on Lagba Omer, oh, we don't have to say anything bad about him. Mihu, yesh lidakteg b'simcha zolema. He says, still, I don't understand why the, the, uh, the, um, uh, I don't say why the Ramos said that you should be happy. He said, what are we happy about? If you say we're happy because they stopped dying, he says, maybe that the reason they stopped dying is because they're all dead. There wasn't anybody else left to kill. So for that you could have a party. You could have like a simcha v'sasso. You're going to get together and eat bagels. No, what's, what's the reason? Bekulam meitu, he says. Umati vashu simchazo. Who ever heard of such a thing? That I'm celebrating joyfully a massacre. Can you imagine that? Imagine that. So this is the prichadash. This is what he says. Umati vashu simchazo. Vevshar, he says. Shasimcha yalotam talmidim shosifa chachach rabbi akiva shalomaitu ka'ev. You understand? So the pre-chodr says maybe we're happy that the death of the 24,000 Talmidim was not the end of the story. But in fact, Rabbi Akiva was able to go and find five Talmidim that are, were very special. And these five Talmidim reestablished Torah. In other words, we're not happy that the Talmidim died. But we're happy that that was not the end of Torah Shabbat. Yet Rabbi Akiva was able to reestablish 
what was going on, and that's called, and that's why we celebrate Lagba Omer. So this is the information that we have about Lagba Omer in the Gemara, in the Peru, in the Shulchan Aruch, and in the Perush on the, in the Perush on the Shulchan Aruch. I mean, you see that I, I, I brought the Me'iri, who explains the Gemara more or less the same way that we did. So the first name that is associated with Lagba Omer is the name Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was a Tano. He lived approximately 135 CE. He was considered to be, you can see, he's considered to be the Gemara sort of the the progenitor of Torah Shemal Peh. Because when all the Talmudim died, the story is that Rabbi Akiva himself reconstituted Torah Shemal Peh. Now whether that's true 100% or 90% or 85%, there is no doubt that the, I think that a story like that would not be told about someone who didn't have outstanding capacity. So at the same time, we learn about Rabbi Akiva, we learn two things. That he believed that Bar Kokhba was the Mashiach, and that because of that belief, hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed. Uh, hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed. The final destruction was in Beitar, which is the reason that we have an extra bracha. We made an extra bracha in Birkat Amazon. And the story, so of Rabbi Akiva, if we could delve into it, if we could understand it better, would certainly be very interesting to think that the same person almost destroyed everything and then was able to rebuild everything to make it anew is quite like a remarkable thought. Now the second person whose name is associated with Lagba Omer is Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Now, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai was one of the five students. Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. In other words, one of the people who rejuvenated, one of the people who rejuvenated Torah al Peh, who made it all happen, was Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Now, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai was a, a very remarkable person. But well, what's important for us to know right now is that the yard site of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai is Lagba Omer. The yard site of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai was on Lagba Omer. And there is a tradition that on Lagba Omer, the simcha that we're missing, right? Remember the Shulchan Aruch, the Ramah, the Pri Chodosh, they all mention that you should have simcha on Lagba Omer. But don't tell us how to do the simcha. What are we supposed to do? Sit home and drink? Or eat uh, holy bagels? I mean, what are we supposed to do? So the simcha part of Lagba Omer was taken over, was taken over by the simcha uh, reflecting on Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Now, how did that happen? I don't know. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's what a historian should look into, someone who has patience uh, that I don't have, but I know that. The Abu family, the Abu family that settled in the middle of the 19th century in Tzfat, the head of the family was a Rav in Tzfat, and also, amazingly, the representative of the, of the uh, French government in northern Israel. Like the Galilee was considered by the French to be a separate, separate, and connected to Lebanon. Right? Remember Lebanon? It used to be a country. They, and they had an association with the French. And they speak French in, in Lebanon. I mean, not the guys in the movies, but the guys in the hotels. Right, who are like gambling at night. They all speak French because France had an interest, whatever that means, in northern Israel and Lebanon. And the French representative, French representative to northern Israel, like they couldn't get an Arab to do that. They got this rabbi, Abu, who was a rov in Tzvat. And because he came from, I guess, from Morocco, he knew French. So he was their representative. I don't know what it meant. I don't know what he did. I don't know anything. But what I do know is that the grave of Rav Shimon ben Yochai in the middle of the 19th century was not approachable. It was overgrown and undergrown and there were grasses and trees and, and it was, uh, he just couldn't go there. He couldn't go near it. It was just there. It was just there. So he, the head of this family, the Rav, he undertook to clean the place, to uh, you know, get out all the wild growing things. And Abu, Abu, A-B-U, I think. But and, and, and he fixed up the grave. He fixed up the grave. And every year, every year on the, while he was still alive, there, he, he took the Sefer Torah, he bought a Sefer Torah special to be used in the synagogue that he had built in the kever of Rav Shiva Ben Yochai, and he would walk with that Sefer Torah from Tzvat, remember he lived in Tzvat, to Meron. Not so far. I mean, you could, you could walk it. Like, even if you're not in great shape, you could also walk it. Not so terrible. So you should take the Sefer Torah and walk with the Sefer Torah from, um, from Tzvat, to Meron, and that he put the Sefer Torah in the Aaron Kodesh, in the shul that he had built. And this became, this became a kind of a holiday. This became a holiday. People from Tzvat would walk with him, and they would go, and they would... And, and they took up this other minhag. There was another minhag of lighting a fire. Now, I guess in 1850, you know, if you had a choice between lighting a fire and doing nothing... So lighting a fire, one. I know because you could do that. I mean, what else were they going to do? They couldn't get fireworks off a boat in the Haifa Bay. You know that that was not one of the options. So they they lit fires. They lit fires. So the holiday, the holiday of the yard site of Rav Shimon Yochai was celebrated in Eretz Israel. Celebrated in Eretz Israel, not in Chutzlaret. It's a different term, as we will see in a minute. It is celebrated in Eretz Israel, this 
procession of bringing the Torah to the kever of Shimon Yerchai and lighting fires, which, you know, uh, was what they did. Now, one other thing that they did, which I, I can't tell you exactly why, because I can only guess at it, but I mean, they, all, they, they burned clothes. You know, they, they had clothes, and they burnt them in the fires that they built in Meirun. Why did they burn the fires? I already told you I don't know. Why did they burn the, burn the clothes? Basically, maybe it was to show, like, reckless abandon. You know, like, you don't need property. Think good things are going to happen. Something great is going to happen. So what do I have to keep my stuff for? Okay, maybe that's a too modern type of an interpretation. But they burn clothes. Because they burn clothes, because they burn clothes, people started asking Shilas. They wrote to Rabbanim. They said, what do you mean, what are you burning clothes for? Why don't you give the clothes to the poor? You want to give your clothes away? Give it, to, give it to poor people. What are you burning up your clothes for and losing the whole thing? So they wrote to the Samsofer. Samsofer, as you know, was a great halachic authority. Couldn't just... Ignore the Chsam Sofa. Chsam Sofa says, what? They're burning clothes? This is madness. This is prohibited by the Torah. This is certainly Baal And what are they doing anyway, he says. What is this making holidays that I never heard of? He, the Chsam Sofa. Naturally, you know, when there's an argument between the rabbi and the balabatim, you know who always wins? Always the balabatim. And if the rabbi insists, they fire him. That's how, that's how it works. And that's how it worked. That's how it worked. And this holiday of burning, I don't know, burning clothes, I don't think they do that anymore. I don't know what happens. But this holiday of making bonfires in honor of the yard site of, of Rav Shimon ben Yochai, this holiday spread from Miron, spread from Miron, and, and uh, um, existed every place. Every place there were Haredi Jews. Now today also Dati Lumi Jews. The difference is Haredim use wooden matches, and the Dati Lumi, they have lighters. Right? Because it's like, you know, more modern. But, so... So, so it spread when I came to Eretz Israel. When I came to Eretz Israel, when I moved into my Haredi neighborhood that I live in now. So I was very, very vehement. You know, like young people can be vehement. So I was vehement. I said, how can you let these fires go on? There were actually children that we knew of, that we heard of over the years, who had been killed. It was a neighbor of ours, a child, who had been killed because... He decided to climb up on the, the fire when the fire was burning. Or he climbed up and somebody lit it. I, I don't know what happened, but the, the, the child died. So I said to the, I went to a, to a Rav, a Rav who was well known, and I saw him on Lagva Omer standing there, not taking care of the children, lighting the fire himself. Because he had having such a wonderful time. So I'm saying, I went to him and I said, what are you doing? The kids, you know, are in danger. He said, don't worry. Have you ever people say that? They say, don't worry. 
you're in God's hands. I said, what do I mean God's hands? You know, if God will help me out in the stock market, oh, that's in God's hands. What do you mean God? God's hands are standing next to the fire. I'm not going to burn up. He said, what about the little kids? But you see that whatever voices were raised against the fires on Lagba Omer have not prevailed. And we're still making fires. And Meiron is still Meiron. The only thing is, the good thing that happened was that since so many people go to Meiron, it was very difficult not to organize it to some extent. So the reason I was telling you this is that Abu, Rabbi Abu, who apparently was good in business also, uh, sold the right to light the first uh, bonfire. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, I mean, who could, how do you think of that? You know, how do you think of, come up with it? He said, "Look, it's my place, the kever of Rav Shiba Yochai. I cleaned it up. I built it. I made it mine." And then there was somebody who lived in Svat, whose name was Yaakov Friedman, who was a regioner. Chosid, he was a Rebbe, a regioner. So he said to Abu, I want to buy the Chazoke on lighting the first bonfire in Meiron. And he sold it to him. And whether you believe it or not, that Chazoke to this day is owned by and executed by the regional Rebbe. Every year. The Rishon Rebbe is the first bonfire lit. Year, some years ago, the Rabbanut Rashid, you know about the Rabbanut Rashid? They wanted to get in on it. Because <laughs> it was, it was photo ops, I don't know, it looked good, it was on television, you know, everything, it's a new world. Like, you know, it's, everybody's there, even if you're not there. So, so they uh, negotiated Negotiated, Rabbi Amar will be there this year and light his Midura, but not before one o'clock in the morning. That was the negotiated settlement. So, I mean, maybe to look good on television, but at one o'clock in the morning, there were a lot of other bonfires burning away. On, uh, so that the second, the second moment here, the second moment here is Rabbi Shiva Yochai. There's one other thing about Lag Bomer that I want to tell you that you may not know. In Europe, and for a little while in America as well, uh, it was called a day of Keshet Vachetz. Right. Keshet Vachetz, a bow and an arrow. And they, uh, and they had field days. I remember we used to have uh, field days. What? Songs? No, no. No, I, mean, I just, I remember the Keshet Vachetz. <laughs> The cash of the heights was uh, you had races and you had three-legged races and potato bag races. You had just all kinds of all kinds of competitive things, which I assume I assume had something to do with the youth, with the Tunuot um, Noah, the what do you call that? Youth movements. Oh, uh, movements, right? The youth movements really got into that. The religious ones and the non-religious ones. And this was kind of um, a reflection of the fact that Bar Kokhba represented, became to represent Gvura. Right, you know, we were like weak on Gvura. We, the Jews, in their history, were a little weak on heroism. 
So we took even Barkofa, who caused the tremendous tragedy, and we said, but he was big and strong and tall, and, you know, he had this thing with the thumbs. What? Yeah, yeah. So, so we went for that. So that's a third, third motif. But getting back to my original... Com- I guess, could be. I was not only not there, I didn't see the movement. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you mean, who are we talking about? I understand, but how many Jews were there who lived up in the north? There was a community in Svat. And there was a community in Tiberia. And they all came in the 18th century. So you're talking about a hundred years. You're talking about a very poor community who didn't have the wherewithal to fix things and make things. And, you know, until, until in the state of Israel they realized that these are tourist attractions and it's worth making an investment. But private people had no way to, uh, to do that. Until he came along, he had a little bit of money, so he invested it. He got some laborers to come and help him fix the place up. But it was a very remarkable thing. There were a lot of graves in the north that were never uh, dealt with. No one ever did anything with that. So that what? Well, it takes a little more effort. Okay. Okay, I guess crossing the street. No, I'm saying we live in a very dangerous world. Like crossing the street is like a big problem. Okay. I'm it was not celebrated in Miron as a separate kind of holiday. The people uh, did not uh, had weddings on Lagboma. It was like they didn't have weddings till Agbo, right? They had weddings, but they didn't do this thing in Meiron until it became possible to get there. So I want to tell you something about Rav Shiva and Yochai. I don't want it to uh, to be too digressive. As you know, Rabbi Shiva and Ben Yochai is credited with writing the Zohar, and he lived a very remarkable life. A lot of it in a cave. He and his son, Rabbi Eliezer. Uh, uh, so that that Rabbi uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is the one who is responsible for the Torah Shabbat Peh of Nistar. As the Ramban says in his introduction to the Torah, the Ramban says that when Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu. He also gave him the Torah Shabal Peh, which means the explanation of the Psukim. Like when you read something, I mean, you can't just know what the words mean. You have to have some idea of what the intention is. I mean, that's called, it's not always called interpretation, but that's what it is. Anything you read, anything you read, which was written more than a week ago, has to be understood. Because the meanings of the words themselves change. So even if you read a newspaper, which is kind of a very common uh, 
is very common kind of use of words. They want a lot of people to understand what they say. They're not just hiding anything. Nevertheless, if you ask somebody who has studied English in another country, not in a non-English speaking country, who knows English very well, he's not always able to get the gist of what the newspaper is saying. So the Ramban says that when God gave the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu, he also, it was explained to Moshe Rabbeinu, because um, there are things he don't understand. For example, if the Torah says that, uh, that there's a mitzvah called tefillin, you have to put on tefillin, and if the uh, tefillin in the Torah are called totafot, totafot, so it's inconceivable that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say, what is that? Right, to God. What God said to Moshe Rabbeinu. Totafot benyinecha. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, oh great. But he must have also said, what is that? And, Ma- and HaKadosh Baruch Hu must have told him what that is. And that's called Torah Shabal Peh. So the Ramban says that the Torah Shabal Peh, the Torah Shabal was given to Moshe Rabbeinu. But the Torah Shabal, that's the Torah Shabal Peh, Niglet, we call that. Niglet. The obvious Torah, the Torah that we read. But the Torah Shaval Peh of, of Nistar, the hidden Torah, the Kabbalistic Torah, the Torah of Splendors, that was also given to Moshe Rabbeinu, but not taught to everybody. It was taught in a hidden manner. So when it came to the, to, to the students of Rabbi Akiva, we can assume that what was wiped out was the Torah Shebe'al Peh of the Torah that we know about, but also the Torah Shebe'al Peh of the Nistar, the hidden Torah which was given to Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai. So that in fact the re-establishing of the Torah after the 24,000 Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva died was given to two people. One is Rabbi Akiva, and the other is Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Rabbi Akiva is the one who we know about, who gave us the Mishnah and the Gemara, and he was the kind of progenitor of all of that. And Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai is the one who reestablished the Torah Shabal Peh of Nistar, of what we call today Kabbalah or Zohar or, or, or any, of those, any of those kinds of words. So that the connection between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, is that each is credited with producing for the future generations what we call today Torah. Each of them. And therefore, in, in some conceptual way, it makes sense that, this, that we celebrate uh, both of these people on the same day. No, it's true that we celebrate, according to the Prichadash, we celebrate Rabbi Akiva because even though his Talmidim died, he was able to find new Talmidim to carry on in the work of the Mishnah and the Talmud, etc. And we celebrate Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai because Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai was able to help us carry on, carry on with the Torah Shabal Peh of Nistar of the hidden Torah, which we still learn in the guise of, in the guise of uh, uh, the Zohar, for example, one of the primary books of the Kabbalah. And to finish this idea,
I just want to mention a little bit of what the B'nai Sotchar says. You look on the second page. Uh, the second line, the end of the second line, he says, "Hitgalut atov shal haTorah sheganaz b'haor kito, v'hu haor sheadam mabit po misof olam atzofo, v'zeha oroim misdorin shal yotzei breishit tana." Hine Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai kira'uhu butzina kadisha. Butzina kadisha means a a holy flame. Ki al yadon nitgale bitgalia sodot haTorah who sod haor ki tova ganuz baTorah al kein nikrasifro kadosh zohar or hamavik misof haolam vaat softo. So I say to you. There are two kinds of awe in the world. There are two kinds of light. There's the light that you use and the light that attracts. The light that you use, that's Torah or that's referring to the neglect. The light that you see, that you understand. You know, if I learn more, I'll know more. If I study harder, I'll know more of what it is that I am learning and studying. That's awe. Awe is, is something that I use. I use the light in order to produce, in order to produce a certain result. Aish, however, Aish is not functional. Aish doesn't enable me to learn because it wavers all the time. You know, these big bonfires. If you wouldn't take a book to read, Near a bonfire, it's just not convenient. But the Aish itself, the fire itself, draws you close. It's something that's interesting. Do you ever see children looking at a fire? You know, you can't keep them away. You can't stop them from moving, inching their way closer and closer because the fire itself has this attractive side to it. So the, the light is the light of Torah, of Nigla, of the obvious Torah. And the fire is the fire of Nista. So when we came to celebrate the achievement of Rabbi Shimon Yochai, it's not just his Yodzai, but it's his achievement, we light the bonfires, because that represents the light that he, Rabbi Shimon Yochai, brought into the world. So when we learn Torah, when we learn Torah, we, we look for a light. We don't look for a fire. And sometimes the Torah itself makes that makes that fine. Have a good Shabbat. Next week we return to Kasha.